So this week's episode starts with a burp. It's not by who you think. It's actually by a 20 kilo poodle called Alfonso. It's quite spellbinding, actually. Jubilant, captivating. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) And you know what? Like, (laughs) oh my god, he burps all the time. (laughs) Oh my god! I'm so glad you guys have witnessed this because it's kind of like when he does it. I'm kind of like I feel like I'm saying my dog ate my homework. It's like no, my dog burped, and people are like, yeah. Yeah. Alfonso's mum, Olivia, was our guest this week, and we were lucky enough to have Alfonso tag along. Olivia Cummings is the founder and designer behind jewellery label Cleopatra's Bling. She's currently based in Melbourne, but has lived in Berlin, Paris, Istanbul and Naples, honing her creative skills and building her brand of ethical handmade jewellery. And actually, my engagement ring is a Cleopatra's Bling creation. It sure is. We absolutely love what Olivia does, but it was really nice in this chat to not just talk about her incredible jewellery and love of food, though we definitely did. We also talked about grief and about how everyone, everyone has creative potential. And how the support of those around you can give you a really strong backbone when it comes to forging your own creative path in life. This chat was held on Wurundjeri land. Thank you to the ancestors for having us. We pay our deepest, deepest respects to you. A heads up, there are some rude words in this episode. Let's find out what Olivia Cummings eats. I'm Olivia. I'm a jewellery designer. My brand is Cleopatra's Bling. Born and raised in Melbourne but lived in Europe and Turkey for 13 years, which I think has influenced a lot of my cooking as well. Absolutely. And I think food for me is like a connector. So other than obviously being a nourishing and like health inducing and fortifying force, I would say for me, like when I cook, it's for like people I love. And like, that's the way that I like to connect more than anything with the people around me is like cooking for them or with them. Yeah. I'd say like, it's a mixture of simplicity on the daily and then in celebratory and social settings and like in in a nurturing context I go like above and beyond Mm. to the point where people are like are you okay (laughs) why did you cook this meal for me but it's just I just love it yeah and I think also because I don't make money from it it just gives me like because you know my other creative outlet is my jewelry but that's my job Mm -hmm. so it's kind Mm. of like nice to have something that I love as much but it just brings me nothing but joy and yeah like Mm. care your jewellery is all about storytelling and myths and symbols and travel and history uh, and relationships and mm-hmm. many, many other things. We wanted to know if your cooking is kind of in that same vein. Yeah, maybe not so much about direct symbolism and mythology, although that's not true because there are some recipes I know of that are incredibly linked to like old stories and also like heritage. So, for example, mm-hmm. in Naples, Genovese is like a very typical sauce Mm. for pasta and that's like so ancient. So like, you know, the fact that like every Neapolitan knows how to make that recipe or they have a Mm. version of that's like integral to their family tradition, Mm -hmm. I think that side of food really fascinates me. Like the legacy of a recipe fascinates me or like I often make apple tartatin. Mm -hmm. It's like (gasps) the fact that it was made by accident by the Tartan sisters 
because they didn't flip it over, (laughs) blah, 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 like things like that I find really interesting. So I guess in a certain sense there is that element to food and culture, the culture of food that is the same as my jewellery. And just like learning from the people, just the same way that I learnt jewellery from people like on the ground, real people in Turkey, I learnt so many of the recipes that I now make and recreate from people that I knew in the places that I've lived. Yeah. So Istanbul, Paris and Naples. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I guess hadn't really drawn that parallel before, but I can see that now. And so are you a recipe person or are you more of an kind improviser? Half-half. Like mm. I'll, if I'm doing something like technical like a souffle or like something where I'm like, God, I cannot even do one gram off for it's this because so like, it's a scientific mm. concoction then sure, I'll follow a recipe. Or if it's like something quite new to me, like a region, like I've I've done a lot of like Turkish, Middle Eastern and European cooking. So now I'm like, oh, you know what? I really love Asian food, but I feel like it's one of those things that I always eat out mm-hmm. just because of like the places I've lived. And I want to get good at some staple, you know, recipes. Mm-hmm. <gasps> That's our fish. Yum. We're not going to be able to edit that out. So everybody gets to hear yeah. the excitement <laughs> of what are we eating? Uh, a very improvised whole baked harissa fish. Okay, so it's stunning. a snapper from the Preston Market. Yeah, it's a snapper from the Preston Market, stuffed with herbs, lemon, and harissa, and coated with harissa and olive oil yeah. and sea salt. And it's on a bed of roast vegetables. What the? So mm. good. Heck. I'm thinking about little Olivia. Mm. Are there any foods from your childhood that? evoke strong memories or nostalgia even now? Like what, yeah. was, what was tiny you eating and making? Rice pudding. Oh. Like my oh. parents used to make, they called it milk and rice and it was mm-hmm. like a nighttime thing that we would have as like a soothing thing with lots of like oh. Indian and Ayurvedic spices and brown sugar. Like my dad used to make that for us as well. Mum mm. and dad like were honestly really good at cooking things from scratch. They weren't like big on takeaway or like ready-cooked meals or anything. So I think I just have that kind of tradition of you know like mum makes broths and all her sort of bases Mm. herself so I think because of that I've really absorbed that in my own cooking culture and like makes me feel like terrible to buy broth for example I'm just like oh my god I could have just made you know what I mean like I I mean let alone the the price of a tiny jar yeah the price of of it's exactly you've seen Mm. it but it's like you know ten dollars for 500 mils. Exactly. Yes. It's like, so I just like, and also just knowing what I'm putting in and like the way, I don't know, just like something about it feels so wholesome. And then also surprisingly for my mum and dad's generation, they never overcooked vegetables. So we had bland, I know, we never, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, for for everyone listening, Claire's Claire's mouth is still on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. So like my mum doesn't like overly cooked greens. She likes them snappy. Nice and crunch. Yeah. Bit of crunchy. So she's avant-garde for a baby boomer in that (laughs) respect. (laughs) Nice work, Lynette. Yeah, exactly. So she, dad admittedly really liked them more cooked than mum. One of the points of contention in their marriage. (laughs) Dad was like, this is undercooked. Mum was like, no, this is how it should be cooked. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'd say like a lot of like nourishing big pot meals, like, you know, risottos, big soups, big like dal uh, dal and rice. Oh, yeah. Big one for us. Mm -hmm. Things like that, which has probably led into my love of like a lot of nourishing ingredients in one big pot. And were you 
wanting to be in the kitchen oh, yeah. around them? Were you yeah. wanting to learn? Um, I think I just was knowing me. I was always like quite vivacious. So I was always like in there, like, what are you doing? Like, can I help? <sighs> Did you have your hands in everything? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. and I wanted to do it and I wanted to do it on my own. And like, I didn't want anyone to tell me how to do it or show me how to, like, I just was <laughs> like, I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. I used to do this thing with Lawrence, my brother where we would like write menus for breakfast in bed for a oh. Sunday <laughs> and oh take God. it to mum and dad That's in beautiful. bed and like then like Lawrence and I would make pancakes or whatever we made mm. well and then but um, until your parents walk out into the kitchen and they see the state the, it's in after I know, making probably <laughs> yeah but knowing me because I was so like conscious of that stuff don't know why. I probably Capricorn. was also like, yeah, Capricorn. <laughs> I was probably like, now we need to clean up the whole kitchen while we go, um, which I still do, by the way. When I when I cook, I'm like cleaning as I go. Mm-hmm. Cannot stand mm. when my kitchen's out of control. I feel like a spinning top. Yeah. And when I see people do that, I'm like, whoa, okay. Like I can't be in this kitchen. Um, so, yeah, I think I was definitely hands-on in the kitchen when mum and dad were cooking. Good example of a dad who cooked and, you know, put on an apron and, did stuff when he wasn't working like he would definitely be in the kitchen so that was nice yeah you recently lost your darling dad Chris Mm -hmm. who was also an artist he was a a musician and teacher would you like to share any art or food memories of him or travel stories well our last trip was actually in 2019 and his last trip ever was Mm -hmm. to Jaipur so we just like ate our way through Rajasthani curries and um that was really Lovely. And he interestingly like had a chocolate tali. Oh. Super unusual. Like I wasn't expecting that in India. Yeah. Um, but it was like a traditional thing that all these people were eating there. So mm. I need to look more into that. <laughs> but yeah, so we had like a lot of experiences overseas together because mm. we traveled a lot together. So India, Turkey, you know, we had a lot of kebab in the Grand Bazaar. Like he oh. loved kunafe. Mm which is a very Eastern Turkish and Syrian Middle Eastern dessert with like an angel hair pastry stuffed with a white cheese that's grilled over charcoal and Mm. then topped with pistachio and like clotted cream and syrup. It's unbelievably like gout inducing but delicious. (laughs) Um, So stunning. And also with the pistachios on top, it's just beautiful. So, yeah, we've had a lot of good times. Also Naples, he loved all the pizzas because the Naples pizzas are really, really thin crusted Mm. and almost wet and floppy. Mm. But that's the Naples pizza. That's how you got to have it. So he loved that. It's really nice to have those memories with my dad because we're so close. So, yeah. Yeah. And just like cooking for him a lot as well when he was really sick, I think, Mm. was like a a really healing thing for me to do even though like it didn't end up working because we couldn't fight the cancer. But just like through that process, like cooking for him and making him broths and everything that I thought that, you know, I could do to help was like Mm -hmm. a nice way to feel closer to him. Your dad, Chris, was also an artist and a musician. Mm. What was it like growing up with a creative father? Really interesting because he just wasn't very, like, conventional in a lot of ways. It was nice because my, like, model of a man wasn't, like, domineering in that sort of standard blokey way. So that was good. And just seeing his sensitivity and, like, attention to detail with, you know, objects of beauty and music and, like, even, like, in terms of my craft, like, he would... He would like love 22 karat gold and like 
notice settings of the stones that we did. Like he'd notice all the beautiful little details. Is also a Libra. Um, <laughs> having that and then a father who was comfortable with that side of himself plus being, you know, into like skincare and like smells and like loving like buying us essential oils from India and things like that just was kind of like old world mm-hmm. luxuries that I think opened up my world to like old world craft. Mm. And what did he teach you about being an artist? Mm, He kind of taught me to be like not precious about it. I do actually think that everyone is creative. I think whether Mm. or not you access your creativity is a separate issue. So I think like everyone has creativity and I don't think anyone is less of an artist than anybody else. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say to me like, oh, but I'm not creative like you. And I'm like, you actually are. Mm. Like I think everyone is and like you're just, you're creating your life, which is a form of artistry in my opinion. Mm. But for me, what really resonated with my dad's approach was that he was as much of a like a functioning normal person in society getting through the motions as he was this sensitive artist who just like had this insane passion for classical music Mm -hmm. and I think that's helped me be like really matter of fact about it and not like tortured in any way because I think it's really easy for people to become stuck in that archetype. Well, we have a lot to say about that later yeah. on. But I loved what you said about him noticing things. Yeah. And I think having an eye and noticing things and being sensitive is a true character of an artist. Yeah. Through what we've seen in your collections, you have that eye, you notice things as well. Mm. And you talk a lot about how much travel and living in other parts of the world has influenced that. Can you tell us some of the places you you have lived and and the impact that they've had on you over your life? So I live my first, like my gateway drug experience was (laughs) Berlin because I was six, I moved there just before I turned 16 for a year. Wow. And learned, like I was incredibly bilingual in German when I came back because I was just immersed, dropped into a German high school. Yeah. Um, And then ever since then, just I couldn't, ever really settle into just like a a fully Melbourne life, I think. Mm. It just took me on another path. And then I went to Paris from 18 to 24 um, and did my studies there, like masters and everything. And that's when um, I left Paris sort of by accident because I, I did a trip to Istanbul for two weeks and then I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> next destination. Um, and then I just sort of started discovering the world of jewellery and selling like I literally just sourced antique jewelry and sold it on Etsy and then I started to make more money doing that than I was earning at my job in Paris doing mm-hmm. strategic planning for a branding agency. And then I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> Au revoir. Au revoir. Yeah, and then <laughs> went to Istanbul on my own. I had like no money, didn't speak Turkish, knew nobody there and then just started learning jewelry in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul for like I was there for five and a bit years. I know it's when I say this out loud, I realize how insane it sounds. And then I just learned Turkish, learned how to make jewelry with the men in the bazaar. And then just the brand sort of concept started to fall into place. But it really wasn't like a preconceived, like I didn't have a business model. Mm-hmm. Like I sort of applied the business model retrospectively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had to speak Turkish as well because no one spoke English. So it was like a lot of learning yeah. in a really turbo way, like very, very full on. And I was exhausted most of the time, but I just had to like get through to survive really. Like it really was a matter of like hand to mouth. Like I had no 
no surplus cash whatsoever. <laughs> so I was really like in this interesting position of like being incredibly conscious of how poor I was, but also incredibly excited and curious about where my path was taking me. And Mm. I also just had this innate trust that it was going to be okay. So I just like kept going and then I'd do trips around Europe to promote and to visit my brother in New York. So I'd do like little events, just kept promoting the brand. I was completely on my own with it Mm -hmm. until it was sort of getting to the point where I was like, well, in order to be able to make enough money to have help and like grow, I need to get help like producing yeah Yeah. so then I went to Bali and met up with this studio our studio today so six seven years later because they do recycled silver they've just got incredible techniques and like I didn't want to compromise on quality Mm -hmm. and work in a factory like I wanted to be like small production small runs um and I wanted to be able to just give them my waxes and then just help me assemble the pieces because obviously I couldn't do a to z of everything I mean, it's just not even a possibility when you're running a business. But, you know, and then we started like shipping the pieces that we made in Bali to Melbourne. My parents mm-hmm. were helping me do dispatch. So it sort of just started to slowly grow. Beautiful. And then I just, when my dad got his diagnosis, moved back to Melbourne and then the pandemic started. <laughs> so Crazy that's a very timing. condensed version. Obviously, there was a lot of times mm. I probably blocked out because they were so hard and oh, I was on my own and like, didn't really know where I was going with it, but it was, yeah, all in all, like pretty bonkers and fun. <laughs> it feels like, you, feels like you've followed your gut the whole way. Yeah. I think I do follow my gut a lot. I don't know. I don't really ever feel that scared. And sometimes mm. I've been like, I should be scared, but I'm not. Or I felt scared that I wasn't scared, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But I've never mm. been like, I can't do this. Mm. I've always felt very capable and believed in myself. And I think that translates and then people trust me. Mm. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, but I think my dad gave me that because he always backed us and never doubted us. So I think that just naturally was instilled in me from a young age. Like Mm -hmm. even like when I placed my first big production order, I was like shaking in my boots and dad was like, well, the Latin root of the word currency is from current it, you know, and then he was like, and so it means to come and go. So like money will go and then it will come back like mm. a river. And like he would just say things like that to me, which would be like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like just to give me like, you know, the sort of some background philosophy that would mm. just sort of accompany me through my life. But that still sticks with me today. Like it's probably over 10 years ago, but like that kind of guidance was really the building blocks, I think, in terms of me becoming confident enough to believe that I could do what I'm doing. That is so inspiring. That's going to follow me. I'm going to take that. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, he would say a lot of things like that that would just like really take away your anxiety because he was just like, oh, okay, it's meant to do that. The support can sometimes be delivered in a really loving way, but I think especially to children who are creative in sometimes the wrong way, um, yeah. not intentionally. Definitely. Like what I've enjoyed about my parents' approach is that they've never expressed any doubt just believing that I can do it is like kind of like having a really good skeleton mm-hmm. yes. do you know what I mean because yeah. it just like holds you up yeah but you don't necessarily notice your skeleton and you don't think about it that often because it's, it's the best kind 
the, you know what I mean? You're just like, I'm like, I've got great yeah. backbone. Yeah. yeah. But just like, it's like a core strength when you know that people are there for you. They're like, if you've got any questions, call me. But like, my mm. dad wouldn't be like, why don't you do this instead? He wouldn't do yeah. that. He'd just be like, great. And I'd be like, I'm going to India. And he's like, you're not going to India on your own. I'm coming with you. <laughs> so like that kind of support as well. And then he'd just like be on the adventure with me. And mm-hmm. but that's because he just wanted the tally. Yeah, he definitely wanted <laughs> and he wanted to hustle 22 karat gold. Loved it. <laughs> hey, it's, it's a fun game, right? For your preaching to the choir. <laughs> 22 karat gold. As she plays with her as gold, I play with yeah, my yeah, gold yeah. earring as we hear that jangle. <laughs> Do you reckon it's time for nibbles? Let's have a little nibbles break. Sure. So the nibbles are first thing that comes to your mind. Quick fire questions. Sure. Who is your favourite cook? Oh, my God. Now I'm overthinking it. <laughs> um, okay, I know actually like he's not my – I've never tried his food, but Alex and I recently watched this documentary all about ramen, this guy in, in Japan who just – and honestly like by the end of it I felt – hangry it was like 9 p.m like it was you know these macro micro shots of just stunning ramens and he do you remember his name no but it'll be in the it'll be in the show notes in the show notes yeah i can't remember (laughs) even the name of the documentary like honestly i just can picture the stunning visuals i mean that's the point right yeah yeah (laughs) you're left with the essence yeah who's your favorite artist So there's this Turkish artist and I have one of his paintings I bought for myself for my 30th. You may have seen mm, it, the big yellow I one. I yeah. love that painting. Hanife Yeter is his name. Um, he just does really folkloric work. He's based in between Bodrum and Istanbul. I've met him a few times and he's just a stunning painter. Yeah. Like really speaks to my imagination. Mm. We'll pop a photo of um, the work that you yeah. have up on, on the article on our website because it's stunning. The colours uh, yeah. and the textures. Yeah, he's, oh. he's very um, f- figurative. Like, yep. it, Yeah, I love it. What's your favourite kitchen sound? Probably the ding, ding of like of a ladle on like the side of a big Ooh. pot of something cooking. Nice. And favourite kitchen smell? Uh, honestly, like... Some kind of wholesome cake, like a carrot cake, like a banana loaf mm. or a flourless chocolate cake. Something that's, like, not overly sweet, like a, not a pavlova. Yep. No. yep. Love a pav but don't need one more than once a year. <laughs> I don't think mm. I've ever – I couldn't describe the smell of a pav too, right? It's just like sweet. A, it's just, yeah. like, sugary. Marshmallowy kind of. Yeah. yeah, that would be my favourite smell. Tell us about your favourite Turkish meal. Um, actually, sarma. So, mm-hmm. like – the vine leaves or cabbage leaves, yes. like slow cooked with beef and rice and like lots of different spices and herbs and then served with yogurt. Oh my God, it's so comforting. Yeah. I cook mm. that quite a lot. Dolma, yapraksarması is like, it means like vine, stuffed vine leaves. Um, love it with yogurt. Just find it's like, it's honestly like so comforting because it's cooked for so long. Everything like infuses for ages. And then just that topping of yogurt is stunning. Keeping things closer to home, what's your Vegemite to butter ratio? Oh, my God. I'm like a sicko with butter. I'm extremely aggressive on the butter front Mm. with Mm -hmm. anything to the point where, like, I have given people a cracker with butter before and they've asked me what kind of cheese it was. (laughs) So, yeah, thick. I like it thick and I like my Vegemite thin. 
So like an 80, 80, 20. Yeah. But it yeah. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Or yeah. Like 90, 10. Yeah, even 90-10. Like I, yeah, go 90-10. I think people that like more Vegemite than butter are the real serial killers <laughs> of this world. <laughs> so the starving artist cultural stereotype is something yeah. that we all know and we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation if it wasn't something that deserves to be interrogated and it's something that's very complex because it's something that we – sometimes don't even know we're kind of mm. putting on ourselves, but it's also something that is just woven through the fabric of society and yeah. it's something that comes out really in a really obvious way, maybe in conversation, but it also can be sort of perpetuated through how society is set up, mm. um, how funding is allocated, how, yeah. you know, the yeah. value of different things. So it's a big concept. It's a big archetype that's kind of an umbrella mm term for a lot of different ways of being and experiencing the world. So for you, yeah. how have you navigated the starving artist archetype and concept throughout your life as an artist? Um, I think I've always just tried to approach what I do in like a really pragmatic way. I try to just through my work and through like what I do in general is just remind everyone that everyone's an artist and that there's no other. Mm-hmm. And that no one is another. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just my reaction to this cultural stigma and like glorifying the tortured soul and like the person who must get this thing off their chest. Like I don't relate yeah. to that at all. Like I don't and feel the like genius. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I don't oh, yeah. feel like I'm tortured getting genius. anything off my chest whatsoever. I don't feel like if I don't do jewelry that I would like crash and burn. Like. I think it's one medium for me of creativity just as cooking is, just as like pottery is. And I feel like keeping check on that ego is really important. I do genuinely think there are artists out there that probably don't have money and like that's a whole other issue because I feel like that's maybe a societal thing. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like the cultural connotations, sort of expectations of what it is to be an artist, I don't relate to them whatsoever because I just feel like I'm a normal functioning person. I go to bed early. I get up, get shit done. Like I'm very romantic in my own head, you know, with my references and the things that I look at for inspiration, but I'm definitely not like, oh, I'm so good at this and like no one can understand me and I'm so isolated and sad and Mm -hmm. hungry and like blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I eat well, have a lot of people who understand me and it doesn't make me more special because I make jewellery and... I'm just like very down to earth about it, I think. And I think also because I want the brand to be approachable, like I don't want it to be one of those brands where it's like, Mm. oh, we're part of the cool clique. And, you know, I think a lot of brands in the 80s and 90s and still today do that where it's like you have to aspire to be part of their brand. Mm -hmm. And it's like they make you feel bad about yourself and then so you try harder to be part of it, to be accepted. Where it's Mm -hmm. like I do not want to do that. Like I don't consider CB like a fashion brand whatsoever. And mm. so, yeah, I think f- just across the board, like I like to be very egalitarian. Yeah. And I just mm. think the othering of people who aren't artists, there's that superiority complex that kicks in. And I feel it when people approach me that they think I'm better mm-hmm. and I'm mm. very quick to dismantle that because I'm like, no, no, like people come in, oh, but I'm not, you know, even when they're just interacting with me yeah. about what I do, like, oh, but, you know, I'm not creative and brilliant like you are Mm. and I'm like oh my god you are like (laughs) it's just maybe maybe some people have parents 
that nurtured that in them and that gave them confidence and, like, it takes other people longer to get to it or maybe not everyone's meant to live from their artistry but they're an artist Mm -hmm. in another way, you know, and I think it's important to think that everyone has their way of expressing their artistry and it's not necessarily because it's not on Instagram and you're living from it that you're any better than anyone else. Mm. So, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'd say that I just don't really label myself as an artist or anything in particular. I just like to say that I make jewellery. It's interesting because there is such a construction around the image of an artist and you touched on this earlier in, in the interview, especially about the tortured Do you believe that pain is necessary for making good art? No. I think, like, to be honest, though, like, I've made some pretty cool stuff when I've been in a weird place. Mm -hmm. But I've also made some really cool stuff when I've been feeling insanely on top of my form, tip-top condition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I feel like there's no, for me anyway, like, I can't speak for everyone. Definitely not. Often when I'm feeling really bad, I just don't want to make stuff. Yeah. Like I just feel, yeah, like I'm just like, ugh, mm-hmm. that feels so trivial to make a silly little yeah. thing. Yeah. And other um, times the pain really inspires expression and you're like, I need to work through this by expressing yeah. something. Do you think creating for you is as necessary as eating and cooking? On some level, yes, but it doesn't really matter. Like, I think I just need to use my hands. Mm. I think I'm very tactile. So, like, even with people I love, I love to touch them. I love to, like, pat my dog. I love to, like, work with my plants at home. I love having plants. I'm just, like, very tactile and in touch with things. Yeah, it's a very grounded approach to have. And um, I'm curious to hear what you think of this coming from such a down to earth and not grandiose place. What do you think the role of the artist is? I think we need beauty. We need to look at beauty every day, maybe to underline and to like highlight things that could be overlooked otherwise. I think also commentary on society to some level, but I'm not by any means political in my work. Like I think political in a grassroots way in that I support people that may be otherwise overlooked by the system, Mm -hmm. but it's not an attempt to like comment. It's more just like grassroots activism in a really like hands-on way where I just like to look after people who maybe would otherwise not be looked after. Mm. But I think... For me, it's like creating beauty and connection from that's what, and curiosity because yeah. I think, honestly, without curiosity, you're dead. Mm. So yeah. it's like telling stories. Like, honestly, if I'm ever not curious one day, just shoot me because, <laughs> like, that's the reason. And you'll be like, what What size bullet are you going to use? Yeah, exactly. Are you, <laughs> Wait, are you sure you know how to use yeah, it? It's like, oh, okay, she snapped out of it. She's fine. snapped <laughs> out of it. Where did you find this gun? How did you get is the that brass? Yeah. What's that coated in? Yeah. Is that handmade? Is that cast? Where did you get it cast? Exactly. <laughs> I would hope so. I'd hope that would be the way it went. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, art for me is to create curiosity and beauty and connection and to tell stories and, like, it's so easy to not look around you and mm. see and take in things. Like everything's beautiful really, whether mm. it's brutalist beauty or like romantic or nature. Like I just think like everything's beautiful. So I think mm. highlighting that and storytelling can like 
give people a sense of wonder, which I think is easy to lose yeah. in a capitalistic society. I love that. One of my favourite Joseph Campbell quotes is, awe is what moves us forward. And that's yeah. something that my own art practice has really been bolstered by. It's something I think about all the time. And I guess it just makes you think, me think about how crucial artists are in society. Yeah. And it's really tricky because we often don't get a lot of support. So I was just wondering if there's any ideas that you have about what maybe personal experience or what you've seen out and about, if there's any resources or anything or anything you feel might be useful for artists in terms of resources in general, I guess. I think go to as many museums as you can. Yeah. So I think going out and like just looking at stuff and you don't have to like it, but just look at it. It also gives you a good understanding of like the timeline of humanity, some context to the way that things have developed over time, movements, curiosity also fosters curiosity. So like the more yeah. you look at things, the more you see things and then look for more. I think reading is so important and I don't know about you guys, but since like leaving university and having a smartphone, I just read so much less and I really mm. like have mm. in the last couple of months since dad died, I was like reading a lot more and I just felt so enriched by it. Even like the way you string words together and, yep. you know, there's so many ways that you can be creative and I think, yeah, maybe opening our minds a bit more and seeing that and people would like, create a more harmonious society but maybe I'm also like wishfully thinking there but I just I don't know I just think yeah I just think it's nice to make people feel emboldened and then that it stops the othering yeah totally means that othering is so boring honestly like it's so boring (laughs) yawn yawn death to othering yeah so creativity it's it's available to everybody but It does come and go. Yeah. Um, it's like a passing cloud. Yeah. Kind of. And I wanted to know for you, you've been grieving mm. a lot as we've talked about. Has your sense of connection to your creativity changed during this time of grief? Yeah, I think I've felt, I don't know, like the outside world has felt a little bit more harsh. Mm. The juxtaposition between my internal world currently and the realities of the external world have felt more like grating than they ordinarily would. So I think from that perspective, I've been a lot more like home and hearth focused. Mm -hmm. I've had more time to like sit down and sort of think about things that I'm making for 2024. My dad would really like the fact that I'm still going, do you know what I mean? And that I'm not Mm -hmm. just like losing my vision, like, you know, he shaped a lot of the brand as well with me. I kind of was weird with food for a while after dad died because I was like, well, my body didn't feel like itself. Mm. And like I was feeling like very heavy, but it wasn't that I was overeating. I just felt like physically grief heavy. But I would say that I'll probably end up doing a really good collection for 2024 and it will be because I've had a lot more time to muse and like think about the last four years and just be with myself. And so in terms of nourishing yourself when you're in these states, Mm. how do you go about that? Are we talking broth, big, big broth energy? Yeah, I can be pretty hard on myself. Mm. So I'm like sometimes honestly just fried eggs on sourdough, you know, if I'm a bit hungry but feel like don't want to make an effort. Uh Quick, proteiny. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes you just have to eat those feelings. Mm -hmm. Yes. 100% 100% on Sunday I inhaled 
The flowers chocolate cake that I gave you the recipe for. Oh, which we're going to talk about in a sec. I'm so excited about this. Yum. Yeah, right after Some our nibbles? next little batch of nibbles. What's your favourite utensil or gadget? I've got this really stunning bronze pasta cutter. Oh. Right. So there's one side which is straight and the other side which is kind of like zigzaggy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And can you share a kitchen disaster story or funny story? Yes. <laughs> I've one that I'm still not, I haven't grieved this properly. It was only like about a month ago. I made the most stunning tartare of my life. And then like there was so much going on in the kitchen because I had five people at my place. And I just wanted to move the goddamn tartata onto the mosaic table in my <gasps> living room because Aww. it can handle heat because it's mosaic. So I was like, I'm just going to clear some space. And then as I was carrying it, it just started mm. to slip out of my hands and mm. it was bloody boiling and I just dropped it and it went oh. everywhere. Did Alfie help clean it up? I was going to nope. say, what did no. Alfie do? He <laughs> sat on the couch and looked at me. Like, Even he was just like, And that was it. Crushed. Yeah. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this, but what's your cooking superpower? Oh, my God. What's, how do you know the answer to this? Do you it's want to one, two, three and earlier. say it? Yeah. Ready? One, one two, two three. three. Clean as you go. <laughs> well, I think that I'm very efficient. Mm. So I can really Capricorn my way through a meal and people are like, what? Are you on amphetamines? Like, how did you do that? <laughs> I can time things so well and I don't even know how. Like, I'm not calculating it. I just manage it. I don't mm. know. I think that would be my superpower. Mm. So in a few words, how would you describe your cooking? Mm, nurturing, probably generous in that I, like, I, I don't know how to cook for two people. Like I'm always <laughs> like mum's like, what, do you got the troops coming over? Because <laughs> it's always like way too much food. So that's there's like, always uh, leftovers, people always going home with a Tupperware. That's like your yeah. birthday. Your birthday was ridiculous. I know. It was just. And, I, and there I probably was thinking, do I have enough food? I'm a sicko. (laughs) (laughs) You're a feeder. Yeah, I'm a feeder. Nothing wrong with that. If you could recreate an artwork out of food, Mm -hmm. what would it be and what food would you use? Oh, my God. And not quite answering the question directly, but Alfie's birthday is in November, so I want (gasps) to make a big – you know those, like, Woman's Day kids cakes? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I was thinking of doing, like, a huge poodle cake. So, like, cutting out the shapes, like, doing, like, you know, like, a mum cake. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, black icing, like, the whole kit and caboodle. That's what we did for Squeak's 18th. Oh, true. It was I can't believe Squeak made it to 18. That's psycho. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a party for him and everything. We had a party for him. Made yep. him a cake. Made him a cake. He couldn't eat any of the cake. No, we ate the oh, cake. No, this we cake's the cake. not for Alfie. This is for his stage mum. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> This is exciting. Speaking of cake, yes. tell us all about the recipe that you've chosen to share with us. Well, I've always thought that orange and chocolate is like the perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a really elegant combination. I love almond-based cake, so yeah. almond and pistachio, almond and mm. chocolate, whatever. Love the texture. It feels like really grounding. It feels nurturing. You feel like you're having something that's like, I've had a good slice of cake. Yeah, it's a bit denser. Yeah, so I like that and I like that they're not dry and like that they can last for a few days. Um, Not in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what I love about this recipe is like it's just like super simple, not too many ingredients. You can whip it up super fast. 
It's also good for people who can't eat flour. Mm-hmm. And just adding like a whole rind grated just elevates the whole thing. What's so nice about it as well is if you undercook it slightly, then it's really fudgy. You know what I mean? Because it's like yeah. there's nothing that's not going to cook. Like it's it's almond meal. So you can yeah. undercook yeah. it and it will have that gooey center. Mm. Or you can cook it until it's set and then mm. it will be more like a, you know, a cake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I like about it. Nice. Do you feel that would be good for people who maybe struggle with the exactitude of baking like me? Oh, definitely. It's cool. So, like, if you fail this cake, it's kind of like people say, I kill a cactus. <laughs> it's sort of that <laughs> level of okay. easiness. You know this what I mean? is my level of baking. It's <laughs> a cake for everyone. Why is it important to you? I actually made it a lot during my teen years when I was at high school Mm. and I used to procrastinate bake to avoid like Uh studying. (laughs) But then, I don't know, in the last few years as well, I've made it quite a bit for dad and like would add cream. And also you can sort of like dress it up. It's like a really good pair of jeans. Like you can wear it with heels or not and sneakers. (laughs) It's still great. So it's like the cake that you can have just like that, just dust it if you like. Or as I often do if it's a celebratory cake, I'll double the recipe, do two cakes, mm. fill the middle with cream. And if you really want to go out there, fill the middle with cream and, like, mix through some, like, marmalade oh, into beautiful. the cream so you've got, like, an extra chef's extra. kiss. Mm, chef's and then kiss. you can top it with cream if you like or whatever, like, you know, jam mm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I decorate it with, like, flowers and stuff. So it's, like, then it beautiful. becomes, like, a stunning little... Showstopper. A little big cake. Bit of a showstopper. (laughs) Signature bake. Exactly. Oh, definitely. It's one of my signatures, I'd say. (laughs) Who'd you last cook it for? My whole family last weekend. So my my dad's siblings and their kids and my mom and my brothers because we did like a dinner because it had been three months Mm -hmm. since dad passed away. So my cousin and I got together and cooked heaps of stuff. So I made that. And then the next day inhaled the rest good slash i inhaled like 90 percent and he inhaled (laughs) besides inhaling it all what are the specific rules that you would say like you know if anyone don't burn the butter for the love of god don't burn the butter when you're heating it up before mixing in the cacao Uh make sure the eggs have been whipped enough with the sugar so that it's risen enough there's no raising raising agent so you need that fluffiness Mm -hmm. aerating that Egg sugar mixture enough, I think, is also so important. Mm. We are talking marmalady, creamy, buttery, chocolatey, yeah, citrusy, just pure indulgence. So, what are the flavors that you specifically love in this dish, and what should we be looking out for when we make it and eat it? Um, I definitely think like one rind of an orange is just like subtle, so it's not like mm. an overwhelming aftertaste. It's just like. Mm almost transports you to like Sicily or somewhere where they have a lot of orange blossoms mm. and yeah so it's mm. just like a kind of light even though it's almond meal but you don't it's not heavy in the way that you would feel if you had like a flowery cake which I find makes me feel a little bit yucky sometimes mm. whereas this one is like yeah it just feels like wholesome and what would you serve with it what would you serve with this cake black coffee mm. Mm. yeah say no like more like a or a really sharp black tea Mm. I'd have black coffee with it. Kind of like my birthday when I brought it that like, oh my God, <laughs> the biggest beer that you know to man. <laughs> yes. um, to go with the biggest Campari bottle, not yeah, to man. Yeah, right. I don't do things in halves. Mm-mm. 
So you recently opened your first physical store after mm-hmm. being online for several years. Tell us about it and where it is and sure. um, what's so, happening there. What can so people beautiful. expect when they come and visit? Um, so it's in Collingwood, Johnson Street, number 17. All of the operations that are based in Australia run from there. So we're all upstairs and then we've got retail downstairs. It's a really beautiful shop with lots of jewellery, obviously, <laughs> and gorgeous flower arrangements and jewellery that is not run-of-the-mill and then also custom pieces that we can make. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and we offer tea and coffee in store as well so people just come in and sip and browse. Yeah, we're sort of in the middle of organising launches for the next, like, six months and then I'm organising 2024 collections, so that's really wow. fun. Beautiful. Yeah, we're getting really organised, which is nice. I really love the welcoming vibe. Oh, I love good. that you come through the door and... Everyone's really excited that you're there and mm. it doesn't feel doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel forced or yeah. anything. You're just people like genuinely excited to see you and, yeah, we'll offer you coffee or tea or something and then talk to you about what you want or if you're just browsing. Like I really like that because. That's nice. I yeah, just, I'm glad to hear that. We're definitely not pushy. Yeah, mm. very um, refreshing to be able to go into a space and be like, oh, I just feel like I'm hanging out with friends and playing with beautiful things. That's and then good. sometimes Alfonso's there and then I'm yeah. literally lying on the floor of your shop playing with your dog. That's good. He loves <laughs> that. He's the CEO. He's the CEO. Where are you flying out to next? Actually, Bali. So, yeah, I'm going there for production to work with the artisans we work with, well, that we have been working with for like almost seven years now, which is really exciting and I love to see them. It's really nice. Um, and then I'm just going to sort of prolong my stay a little bit and sit in the sun and ponder mm. the last <laughs> couple of years of my life and just God, have a bit yeah. of time on my own and do some cooking classes and just massages and things like that. God, mm. that sounds good. Yeah, I know. That sounds wonderful. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Yes, you deserve it. because that's how the art keeps getting made. Yes. Yeah. If we've learned anything, it's that. Oh, my gosh, I need to get better at looking after myself we like all when do. I'm low. We absolutely all do, yeah. Mm. Rather than just be like, now I'm feeling good, I'll look after myself. No, no, yeah. now is the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And food is a wonderful way to do that. And yes. I feel like after so long talking about it, we finally get to eat some we ourselves. We get our reward. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reward in our kitchen. Do what's you the, know what's for dinner? Do you know what we're it's having? It's the snapper, right? It's the snapper. So snapper stuffed with herbs and harissa. Mm. On a bed of potatoes. Yes. Stunning. Yeah. Let's... I didn't do it. I didn't get the credit, but I'll I'll do the <laughs> you rating. Can help me you get Google. to announce. Yes, I get to announce. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't get to make the cake in time, but I'll make it for you okay. next time I see you guys. If Excellent. Th- Not I... if we don't make it first, because yeah, now we have your recipe. recipe. <laughs> I have one more thing to say. Yep. Can you please say the the Turkish um, to your hands? Health to your hands. Health to your hands. How do you say that? Elidinisaluk. I think that's really beautiful because we've spoken about your need to make things with your hands and it makes me think about what you were saying about being in the kitchen when you were tiny and you had your hands everywhere. Oh, my my hands are always everywhere. And (laughs) you are making stuff with your hands wherever you are in the world that is happening and I really love that beautiful phrase is something that's actually so, uh, yeah, part of who you are. And it would be for anything. Mm. So it's not just food related. It's like they say it to me when I make jewellery in the Grand Mm. Bazaar. They say, Mm. Yeah, it's lovely. I love that expression so much. And may there be many blessings for a long, long time to come. Thank you. And to you, thanks for having me. Thanks, gorgeous. (laughs) 
So after hearing about all that travel, I am pretty ready to get on a plane. Where would you go? Barcelona. What about you? Yeah, Barcelona, but I also miss my homeland, Hungary. It'd be pretty great to be jumping on a plane next week to go there. Psych, it's happening. It's really happening. We're heading to our favourite places and we'll be doing some recording whilst we're over there. And a lot of eating. Let's hope that one day a trip like this could all be a work expense. Well, speaking of, do you know what's really exciting? I am able to take this trip because I sold a painting. So the painting's actually off to London soon, so it looks like both of us are making a trip, me and my little baby painting. We won't have a new episode for a few weeks, but we encourage you to either head back to the episode buffet and get into what you might have missed. Or you can go back for seconds or thirds and listen to what you loved. We also have some very fun things in the works and we'll be sneakily dropping some things over the next couple of weeks on our Instagram. So follow us there for What Artists Eat in Europe. Okay, love you. Bye. Okay, adios. See ya.